becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stood around a curtain. It's a dream that you don't know. Good. Welcome. Welcome to the shores. To the shores, guys. I was thinking. Let me take a sip. Mm-hmm. At some point, we stopped saying who we were. Maybe we should introduce ourselves. Hey, I'm uh, Michael Vakluf, and I'm Matt McCloskey. <laughs> Welcome to the shores. <laughs> oh, so professional. I guess we just expect everyone to know who we are. If you're well, I think I think that is generally the case. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> all of our millions and billions of followers. Yeah. <laughs> Where are we? I don't know. What's happening? Uh, you had a birthday last week, so we were off that week. I feel like... What's up? You need a little bit of... Yeah. I need a little, a little bit of a lot. A little juice. A, a little, little juice. juice in your line. Yeah, thanks. Ooh, yeah. I feel good. Here. Now you're present. <laughs> That's all I took. <laughs> uh, not my birthday. My, my daughter's. My youngest daughter. Your youngest daughter, who is now 13. 13. Yeah. Damn. Crazy. It is crazy. I mean, she's been acting like a teenager since she was probably nine years old, so <laughs> it doesn't feel like that big of a change, <laughs> yeah. um, but pretty cool for her. That is cool. She didn't really care. No. What? What is that? Oh, I think it might be your mic stand oh, okay. bouncing on the table. Yeah, I think that fixed it. Okay, cool. We're kind of out of sorts here. Our <laughs> whole routine, it, it, it occurs to me how like routine oriented you and I seem to be. I don't really notice it until something changes. So uh-huh. we, we said this last week, but or two weeks ago, the last episode that we, uh, we've been in a, a studio for, uh, almost a year. We were <laughs> there we decided to leave that place and come back and start recording in my home studio again. So we're back here. Everything's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, got some new furniture for the podcast, mm-hmm. which is irrelevant to you listening, but it's just throwing me off, man. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> yeah. So. I've done that way in most things like, uh, oh, that's an interesting thing. Because um, I've been kind of thinking about this, like I have routines and then whenever people get used to my routines and then I change them, it throws everybody else off too. You mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. as far as like, wait, I thought you usually do this at this time. I'm right. Like, oh no, I'm doing something different. <laughs> Cause yeah, I usually like will experiment with things and they usually run about three to six months or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so people would just used to me like, Oh, that's what Michael does. You know, and yeah. when I'm not there, it's like, Oh, <laughs> where were you? <laughs> so I don't know. I like routines. Yeah. Helps keep my head. I don't have to think about stuff, you know, right. <laughs> Which is nice. Hmm. <laughs> well, but you think about stuff all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not menial stuff. <laughs> menial stuff, right. You're just judgmental about the categories that you want to think about. Totally. No, that's true. Um, where's your head at? Mine? Yeah. Uh, 10,000 different places. That's a lot of places. <clears throat> it really is. It's kind of... Uh, uh, well, I, I'll have to say, like, I'm, I'm doing some new things with Medici right now, so we're kind of uh, doing a... a a brand tidy up. Hmm. And so we're working with a firm to do that. And it's been really just two weeks and it already, it felt like I was living in a dirty room and 
they kind of picked up all my laundry and mm. washed it and kind of presented something to us. I was like, Oh yeah. Fresh and clean. That's who we are. You nice. know, it kind of was, it felt good. Cause I think sometimes I get too convoluted in all the different things that are Medici and it's just not as, um, it gets too noisy. You know, he mm-hmm. missed the, he missed the signal for all the noise, which is, which is sometimes hard. But I think that's just kind of like in life in general is like you, your life gets really noisy and you forget the signal and you know, what you're there for or what you were kind of like set out to do. Hmm. So I kind of see that with, uh, it's been kind of nice with Medici just to kind of do a a brand refresh. Yeah. So I guess you kind of did that with Allison this weekend. True. Yeah. Your wife hosted a art journaling processing retreat. I don't know the right words to use, Mm -hmm. but the whole idea was to, to come together and, as a group, not really as a group, you do it individually, but in a group setting is evaluate the last year of your life. And, uh, I didn't get very far. Really? We were there for like five hours and I think I only got through April. Wow. Yeah. I think I was doing it wrong though. I was like, I was getting way too deep into, (laughs) and, you know, she said, bring your journals because your journals are like your phone. So you can look at pictures, like to try to remember the things that happened. And I, Mm -hmm. I've over the last year journaled every day, I think. Mm. So (laughs) my dog wants out. Hold on. (laughs) Yeah. Allison, uh, she does art journaling for, um, kind of processing, uh, different things. And this one was a kind of an end of year reflection art journaling that, uh, she put on, she's actually done two for this, this last, uh, uh, end of December and then January for 2023. I'm back. It's back. I have, I don't know what you said while I was gone. I was explaining the art journaling. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I started reading my journal and that's why it took me so long. Mm. Cause I had a lot in there. Um, it's interesting when you journal every day like that, you know, you're writing a lot, you're writing things down at a higher resolution and in in more detail than you can readily recall. Mm. And it's kind of like reading a book where you're the character. (laughs) I'm like, what happens next? (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. Oh, I did it. (laughs) Yeah. And in some cases I was like, oh yeah, that sucked. That was hard. Mm. Um, And also, you know, my father passed away in April. And I think I, as I was moving through the year, I felt this pressure getting toward April, like to reprocess that. Oh yeah. So I think I was hesitant to go further than that mm. and might have like got super down into the details of January, February, March as a way to avoid getting mm. to April. I don't know. Um, but it was a good experience. Do you think you'll go and, uh, and finish that or I plan to? Yeah. Mm. We'll see. Yeah. How about the format? How was that for you? Cause it's interesting. I also was talking about uh, a lot more women are open to that format than, than men are right. generally speaking. I was the only man there. Mm-hmm. I think there was like 14 people there. Mm-hmm. All women. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, but I also, you know, already, as I said, spend a lot of time journaling and so sitting in, sitting at a desk and writing is, was already pleasurable to me. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what it was. Yeah. There was a, she had us do a, a, a collaging exercise where you go just sort of at random 
flip through magazines and find images that speak to you or catch your attention and mm-hmm. cut them out. So I cut out like 12 images. Um, that was actually kind of harder for me hmm. than the the writing part. Oh, why was it hard? <clears throat> well, because I think the intention is that you're just supposed to flip through and without sort of thinking about it or judging yourself about it, if any image catches your mind, your eye, your attention, you just mm-hmm. cut it out. And I would like, you know, see an image and think about it and, you know, what does this mean? And, oh, I don't like that one. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's not the point. You're just supposed to grab, you know, yeah, yeah, and let totally. it speak to you later. So, yeah, I would do it again. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's thinking about making like a, a kind of more like a two to three day retreat kind of thing with mm-hmm. some other ladies. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it sounds really interesting. Yeah. Would you do that? Uh, I don't know. I don't do like I would do it for her, but it wouldn't really be for me. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so, um, it sounds so weird, but I, 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 th- I, I think it's good to do things with people in a group and, and to be a part of that. And I think I, I do, I don't do that very often if, not, if, if at all, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's probably maybe a draw, uh, a, a drawback to things I do. <laughs> the way you are <laughs> the way I am. But I feel like I'm around people all the time right? <laughs> and functioning in that sort of like communal, uh, processing mm-hmm. and direction. Well, it was interesting because it wasn't really very communal. Like we spent maybe 20 minutes as a group talking and mm-hmm. I got to run back in. <laughs> I told you everything's off tonight. Uh, totally. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know what it is, why, why, why that kind of stuff is not as appealing. Yeah, so maybe 20 minutes talking as a group and then everybody, you know, for a number of hours was just sitting silently mm. in their own space working on this, this exercise of reflection. And, but there was it, just sitting there, even though you're alone and you're not talking to anyone you're not alone and mm-hmm. the other people around you are doing the same thing you're doing. And there's something about, about that, that keeps you focused. Mm. Like it feels just knowing that we're all engaged in the same thing gave me some momentum or some stamina to, mm. to keep doing it. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas if Allison just said, Hey, you should sit down and spend five hours this weekend doing this thing. I'd probably, get distracted or get up and work on other things or whatever. Mm. But coming together with a group of people and all committing to do the same thing at the same time has a, like I'm avoiding using the word accountability, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah. I was thinking that. Yeah. That's cool too. It's like when someone will kind of, uh, name a framework and kind of give you some parameters and guidance, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it seems very helpful to <clears throat> kind of, uh, limit maybe the options that you have to express yourself. Mm -hmm. And that seems, that seems like can be really beneficial for maybe not getting bogged down in the, in the what, but more of the why and the, or maybe the how, but more in the what and the why. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I mean, I mean, you're, you're, it seems like your favorite way to do that is through journaling. It has been for the last number of years. Yeah. Yeah. Or music, I guess, too, but that yeah. hasn't been as as high of a priority. Yeah, music has kind of taken a backseat in my life over the last, at least since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I still play regularly, but 
I haven't been writing as much. Hmm. It's also just very different. Like ex- expression, creative expression musically is very different than creative expression. I mean, I don't even know if what I would say that I'm doing when I journal is creative expression. It's more like discovery. Hmm. Yeah. So, and the, and there's an art form to it that I really enjoy. That's pleasant to me. Just the action of doing it, writing. Mm-hmm. I enjoy. Yeah. You also do the whole, you practice like good handwriting and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've, I, yeah. A number of years ago, I fell down the rabbit hole of <laughs> fountain pens and handwriting. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it is a rabbit hole mm-hmm. and it, and it caught me. Yeah. And I do. I do legitimately enjoy it. Yeah. I'm kind of wanting, uh, I'm kind of wanting another rabbit hole. It's like, I feel like, um, finances and economy economics has been Mm -hmm. my rabbit hole for the last few years. And it's like, I kind of feel like I'm, I want to kind of move into something else, but it's always hard because it's like you can shift in a sense, but really something's got, has to grab your attention and you don't really even know what it is. You kind of have to start exploring different ideas and subjects and, and to see what kind of grabs you and go down a few different rabbit holes and maybe fall down one, you know? Yeah. I think that's such a fascinating thing that things grab your attention Mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily know why. And your attention isn't something that you can very easily willfully direct. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe the, the word, the better word is interest. You can direct your attention, but you can't tell yourself what to be interested in. Mm that stuff just grabs you. Yeah. But I think that there's a mode of being in which you can pay attention to the things that you're interested in. Mm. And there's a lot to discover there because especially as we get, you know, to the age you and I are in our forties, our life is full of basically more responsibility than we can really even handle. And so you can basically, you can fill all of your time doing things that you're supposed to do that you Mm. need to do. And you at all, you oftentimes have to deny yourself the, the sort of grasp of attention or of, of interest when it, when it grabs at you. Cause it's like, I don't have time to do that right now. I need to take care of these other things. But I think being, I'm going to use the word mindful, mm-hmm. which is so funny because I sent you that, <laughs> totally. that comedian talking about how, but before smartphones, we were all, we, nobody used the word mindful because we were mindful half the time. You know, it's like, I used to take a shit, just shit. <laughs> Stare at the wall. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, yeah, but if you're mindful about what interests you, you can discover a lot about both the world and yourself. Cause there's something like when you engage in something that interests you, it's almost like looking in a mirror. Hmm. Well, it's like, I have these, those, those, uh, Emo Gilchrist, the double volume he has. Mm-hmm. And I would so much want to jump into it, but I'm like, ah, oh, I don't have time. Yeah. And that's a big rabbit hole. Yeah, it's a big rabbit hole, but it's one I want to go down, but there's some things that are a little bit more pertinent mm-hmm. right now. Right. Um, you know, I, I think dude, I, I, as I, I think in the coming years, I need to learn to, to kind of not be, it sounds so weird to me even say like to step away from sort of like my Medici focused, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I've been trying to run this business for 17 years and, and part of it, which has been good, but also it's like, I also need to live my life, <laughs> you know, and yeah. do things. And it's like, I, I do start to kind of get that, uh, 
that feeling of, uh, oh shoot, man on the moon. Hmm. When you come at home, son, I don't know when. We'll, we'll get, get together, together then, then, son. Yeah. You know we'll have a good time then. Cats in the cradle. Cats in the cradle. There you go. And I just, you know, part of it is just life. And, you know, you would love to be able to invest more in your kids and in your wife and stuff like that. And there's a certain amount that you can do that. Yeah. And there's a certain amount that you kind of sacrifice by providing, you know, for mm-hmm. your family. I mean, whether it's a two income or a one income family, it doesn't really matter. It's like, right. you do make a little bit of a sacrifice, but being able to, to balance that in a way that you're still there and present, you know, and not completely absent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I can kind of sometimes feel that sort of like, Oh man, I wish I would have spent more time, you know, with my kids mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, made it more, more of an effort in certain areas. And that's kind of a little bit sad, you know, you kind of get a little sad feeling. Yeah. This place, there's a heart in here somewhere. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I know that, uh, you know, I have like really worked hard for my family, but being with my family is, a, is another thing. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if men in, in general tend to feel like they have to sacrifice their own interests and their own um, dreams maybe in order to support and raise a family. <clears throat> yeah. I think that was probably more true, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, it's like having more of a dual income family. Well, I mean, maybe it's, it's opposite. Wait, oh, shoot. I'm, I, I got two things colliding here because I know in Allison's classes that she does for postpartum, you know, there's sort of like, you know, many women kind of express like, oh, if I would have known how good this was, I would have done this earlier, mm-hmm. having a baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, and so what was it like, you know, like a woman's either making a sacrifice um, for her career in the beginning stages and then a, then a sacrifice for uh, their kids you know, when they are wanting to have kids, you know, mm-hmm. and men don't really have that same dichotomy, you know, it's like, we don't, we don't actually carry or have kids, you know, we, we are more, more along for the the ride kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That sounds so crude. It's not really that I'm not saying it the way it should be said or not should be said, but wait, I'm thinking. So it seems like guys do have sort of like, how am I going, how am I going to contribute to this, you know, women already have like, well, I'm contributing by carrying this thing. Right. <laughs> My body's feeding this thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just biologically, like even the need for the baby after it's birth, it's born, you know, is more mother centric than father centric, you know, mm-hmm. even with modern, modern day, uh, uh, conveniences, you know? Right. So, so probably it's some of that is probably worked into us biologically, you know, just from many, many thousands of years and millennia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The more I think about it, I, I think the way that I phrased the question is somehow wrong because having children requires sacrifice, mm-hmm. but so does achieving anything you want to achieve in your life. I mean, everything, mm-hmm. everything worth having requires sacrifice and <clears throat> it isn't like, oh, I can, I can accomplish, I can pursue my dreams or I can have a family. It's not the right way to think about it or look at it. 
because if you for if you forwent foregone foregoed forego yeah if you forego that's right <laughs> foregoneds if you foregoneds uh, having a, a family <clears throat> under the pretense of like it's not commiserate with my stated dreams you know <clears throat> then you also fail to grow up and so you don't to the extent that you accomplish your dreams, you accomplish them as a lesser person. Hmm. And that seems really harsh, but I think there's something really true about it because, you know, we are here sort of inexplicably on, on this planet, in this world, in this reality as conscious beings, which is a miracle and a mystery. And if there's anything that I should say that any everyone should be interested in doing, it's like, you should try to experience the full range of mm. what all of that means. And I promise you it's nearly impossible to do, to experience the full range of anything. If you forego having a family, mm. because you, you don't understand so much about what it means to be human until you bring another human into the world. Yeah. And without that information, I think that you just experience the world much differently in a, in a lesser way. So it isn't to sacrifice one thing for the other. It's not one, it's not either or mm. I think it's that maybe this is what I was trying to get at a, a moment ago about like paying attention to what interests you and being mindful about that and not going, you know, well, I wanted to, I don't know, be an astronaut or a rock star or whatever. And, but then I had a family and I just needed to give all myself to that. That's the wrong way to look at it. I think that you should go live your life and pursue what interests you and have a family and bring them along for that ride. Their life is going to be far more interesting and far more exciting, mm. you know, than I think the picture that you were sort of starting to, to paint, which is like, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids or something like that. Like life can get into this rut where, as I said, we spend all of our time ostensibly paying attention to our responsibilities. And at the end of the day, we aren't even there, hmm. you know, because what is it that, who, that makes up who we are anyway? It's not a fucking task list with everything checked off. Mm-hmm. It's the conversation at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. yeah. What are you going to talk about? You know, and if your life is just, if you look at your life like a series of trade-offs and responsibility as something that needs to be done at odds with the things that interest you, then you're not going to have anything to say of substance. Mm. There will be no conversation. That's interesting. It's like, there's, there's something that I agree with you. And then there's also something that kind of wants, wants me to, wants to push back, you yeah, know, and it. which is interesting. Well, I, I, I don't even, it, I don't, I don't even think it's me pushing back. I feel like when, when I hear you say some of these things, I, I feel like another perspective of somebody listening to it, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Like even like when you were talking about, uh, you know, like most people should have a family, should start a family. Like I would always say like 95% of people should probably have kids. And, you know, you hear people say, no, there's so many bad people and bad parents. It's like, well, 
that's the thing is like a lot of times that makes you have to actually deal with your shit, even though it's hard, you know? Um, but I, I, I agree with you there, but then, you know, you, I, I just hear all the arguments of why, you know, like overpopulation or, you know, uh, it's a myth. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it's a myth. But I mean, but just, I just, you know, you, but you, I mean, it's more about, it's not necessarily the arguments against in tackling those, but more about where those things come from, you know? And we've kind of lost that perspective of kind of what you said is that, you know, we've been here for so long and how did we come to be mm-hmm. through, through, through families or for, through birth. And, and there's something that's so essential to that, that can you really experience life in its fullness without participating in family, you know, in some form or fashion, even, even bad, in a, even in a bad way, you know? Well, in a sense, all families are bad. <laughs> I mean, really though, honestly, Mm-hmm. And in a sense, all parents are failures. Mm. Um, and that's actually why it's so good. <laughs> because just like when you pay attention to what interests you, it's like standing in front of a mirror. When you have a child, that's really like standing in front mm. of a mirror. That child is going to show you things about yourself that you do not want to know. Mm. You know, they're going <clears> to <throat> they're going to know all of your insecurities. They're going to know all of your buttons and the way to push ways to push them even more than your, you know, wife or whatever. Um, and they are going to stretch you to your limit and it, at your limit, you're going to learn what you're capable of mm. both good and bad. And I think that's why it is an expansionary process, but to the extent that you are interested in being a good person, your children are going to help you with that. Mm. Whether, you know, whether you're a good parent or bad parent, um, and I, I almost like want to say, hmm. So I, I almost want to say there's no such thing as a good parent. And that's obviously not true, but mm-hmm. it's almost like somebody asked me the other day um, if I thought that they were a good person. Mm. And I thought, I don't think that there is such a thing mm-hmm. as a good person on those, on the terms of the question. Okay. It's more like, I think that there are people who understand what Solzhenitsyn meant when he said the line between good and evil is drawn down the heart of every man. Hmm. And people who understand that, I want to be around those people. Those people have their eyes open. Mm -hmm. Does that make them good? Well, yeah, kind of. But it isn't that, you know, I think most evil is propagated and executed under the banner of righteousness. Hmm. You know, I don't think that the Nazis thought that they were doing evil. Hmm. And so it's those who understand that it's, it's almost like Socrates when he said, uh, uh, how did he say it? Something about like wise men don't know that they're wise. Hmm. And Goodness is kind of like that too. It's, it, it isn't about trying to be good. It's about trying to be honest and because you can't be good without being honest. Mm-hmm. And those who attempt to be good are, are solving the wrong problem. I think those who actually look at themselves in their heart and the capability of their heart mm-hmm. and they say, my heart hopes and loves deeply. And yet my heart also betrays my heart injures people and hurts people. Yeah. 
it is full of anger as much as it's full of hope and love. And that level of honesty is actually what allows you to, to act in the world in, in a way which I would actually call good. And, and, and so it's just a different set of terms for how you look at something like being a good person. And I think <clears throat> children really help you with that because you can't hide from your kids. You just can't, mm-hmm. you know, unless you, I mean, you can abandon them, but it, to the extent that you're around them, they see you, Yeah. you know, they're, they're watching, they're watching yeah. like hawks. They know everything that you do. Yeah. And you know, that look in their eye too, whenever you're like, Oh shoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they might not even understand, but they react to you in yeah. a more very, mm. almost primal way that is, is a re- reaction to your, like not in a mask that we can put on as we're all, yeah. you know, when we get older and stuff. Well, and they will be disappointed in you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's good too, because in a sense, they should be disappointed in you. And it's not because you're not a good person or that you are a bad person. It's just that you're old. They are growing up to live in a world in which you won't be there. Mm. You can't prepare them for that. You, yeah. You're not enough for them because you don't get to keep going and they do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that there's something really deeply edifying in that. It's interesting. As you're saying these things, I find comfort and encouragement yeah. in that. But I could also see how, like, why are you so down, dude? Like, <laughs> why mm. are you being such a bummer? You know, it's like, I just want to be a good person. And, and, but then when you start thinking in that way, it, you start putting sort of these qualifications on what it means to be a good person. Well, a good person means that they uh, walk their neighbor's dog. They, it's like actions and doing things, but it's not the, it's not the doing of the thing. It's something, it's, there's something deeper that by doing the things doesn't mean you're a good person. Well, I think people who say things like that, like, I just want to be a good person. Mm Mm-hmm do the most damage to the people around them because it's that kind of thinking. Oh, what if you validate their, their good? Well, that's, that's what happens, right? Because they say, well, I just want to be a good person. And so they, they attempt to quantitize hmm. what that is. And then if you ever say, I just, I, I don't, I feel unloved by you. Hmm. And they immediately say, but I did this, I did this, I did this, and I did this, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I saw all that. I, I saw you do all those things. Yeah. It doesn't address the fact that I don't feel loved. Mm-hmm. And it kind of puts you at an impasse and it invalidates them. And then they get resentful. Mm. And I've, I've been around people like that. It's hard. It gets really, really hard. You can't be honest with somebody who just wants to be a good person. Mm. And I think that's you know, why I brought up that Solzhenitsyn <clears throat> quote, because, well, they're, they're not good. Mm. Just like none of us are we are all capable of, of evil. And if we try to not look at that or not acknowledge that or not admit that, I think that's when things go really awry. That's interesting. I, oh, I wonder if like you, if, if you were to say like, I want to be a good person and it's like, are you, are we looking just to get our ego fed in that, looking for validation that that is true mm-hmm. where if you come at it from kind of, I think the direction you're kind of talking about, which is, you know, the, the line of good and evil runs through the heart of every man is that whenever you kind of set out in this world that you do find 
you find some really horrible things inside yourself. Yeah. And, and you, you wrestle with those things and, you know, maybe goodness comes from it, but it's not, it's like goodness is not something to seek. Uh, this is a hard subject. It is you know, really hard. A, um, <clears throat> maybe it's, there's some semantical areas in this. Um, well, so the line in our intro music for the, this podcast is, uh, if you think you saw it, you did. If you think you see it, you don't. And that comes from a poem of sorts that I wrote. And what I'm trying to say there is that when it comes to something like goodness, or truth for that matter, if you think that you saw it, you did. But if you if you try to claim ownership of it, and you try to say, well, I am, I am really, I'm a good person. It's like, you've lost the plot mm. because truth and goodness are somehow bigger than us. You cannot fit it in your hand. Like you can't get your arms around it. Mm. And so to the extent that you say that you have, you don't understand what it is that you're even talking about anymore. Yeah. So I think that there's a necessary, like if you want to be a good person, humility is necessary. And I think a person who's properly humble to the desire to be a good person wouldn't say something like, I just want to be a good person because they're humble enough to know that that's a really shaky ground statement kind of statement to make hmm. because, you know, what, what did Paul in the new Testament say? Something like I, you know, like I, I constantly, I constantly do, do what I don't want to do yeah. and don't do what I want to do. And mm -hmm. it's like the second I say, I want to be a good person, I'm going to turn around and do something shitty. Mm. So maybe I best not say that. Yeah. Maybe I best say I, Oh, there's a great mother Teresa quote where she says, uh, I do not want God. I do not even want to want God, but I want to want to want God. Hmm. It's something like that. She had to remove herself far enough away from it because she can't honestly search her heart and say, yes, I want God. Hmm. Now, I don't know if she's the word want or love, but it, it's that kind of humility that says, well, no, I'm like, I'm like three or four steps removed even from myself, from understanding myself. And so I'm not going to make a claim to the almighty that I truly love him because hmm. I, I already know that that's false. But I know that I want, I want to, mm -hmm. or I want to want to, something like that. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it is sort of, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about your reflection that a listener might imagine that I'm being like a super downer, like a bummer, you know, like, like I'm, I'm being dark or something. And I think yeah. there is something about where we've come in Western culture that the word evil, we hmm. don't, we don't really behave like it exists. Hmm. And I think that that's a big problem because, you know, even though <clears throat> we like to imagine that the atrocities of the 20th century were left in the 20th century, it is the misunderstanding of the heart in our capacity that will bring them back again. Hmm. It isn't that the evil people are gone. We are the evil people, <laughs> totally. you know, uh -huh. we're still here and we uh -huh. will continue to be here. And, um, I, 
I wonder in this current age where we seem to be living in this Nietzschean post-God stage of life in which values are arbitrary and morality is relative. I mean, I wonder if we as a culture believe that there is such a thing as good and evil. Mm -hmm. I kind of think we don't. Yeah. Yet we also would, would still say, I mean, any, any person I think would say, yeah, I want to be a good person, Mm -hmm. which is, it's interesting to me. I mean, why would you want that? I'm trying to think of how to, to kind of go at this because as you're talking about these ideas and you can kind of see why it's helpful for us to have a symbol of evil, like Satan, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's an external thing outside of ourselves, you know, and something that is good, which is God, which is external and outside of ourselves. But also the figure Satan is a lesser being, you know, it's like it, it came from the good. And, and so there's something sort of hierarchical about that too, is like good still over kind of overshadows, but it's, it's something that's higher than everything else, you know? And just like how, I'm going to kind of stumble into this, but uh, just how important that is and that, um, you know, when we talk about being a good person and we don't understand kind of what evil is, because we can kind of, we are very excusive of our shortcomings in that, well, I didn't mean it that way, or I didn't, I was, I was thinking this Mm -hmm. and we kind of have a way to justify our, actions in a sense and where maybe some of that's true sometimes, but other times, even if there's like, even in that complication of like what you meant versus what you intended versus how it actually played out, somebody was hurt by that action. And so it doesn't really matter what you intended. Your action was, uh, hurt of some sort. Mm -hmm. And that, and that it just needs to be a plain, hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Hmm. It doesn't matter what I intended. My actions created something that was not good. I mean, I think that that's a good exercise for someone to do. That's the beginning stages of humility, mm-hmm. is admitting that hurt was done and saying, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's the way you teach children. Mm-hmm. I think that if you want to mature as a human, you actually have to look underneath your, your intentions, your, your, the, the intentions which are known to you because, um, often we try to explain away hurt that was caused as, as you said, a misunderstanding or that wasn't my intention or whatever, Mm -hmm. but there was, there really was intention. You wanted to hurt. It's Mm -hmm. like, that, that there's this clip of Christopher Walken, I think, talking about the power of words. And he says, like, if you know someone well enough, you can be sitting at the table and they might say, can't you pass the salt? <laughs> but really what they're saying is, I love you or I hate you mm-hmm. or I can't stand you. You know, they're, they're saying something else. Yeah, yeah. And you might say that hurt what you just said to me. And I could say, I just said, pass yeah. the salt. Uh-huh. I didn't intend to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're not being honest with yourself. Mm. You're communicating far more than probably you would like to. And there are dark recesses of our hearts that we we won't even show to ourselves. Mm. 
maybe this is what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get at with this whole idea of the line between good and evil is drawn down the heart of every man. Because somebody who says, I just want to be a good person, will not allow themselves to look at the dark parts of their heart hmm. because it invalidates their, their stated desire. And I think it's really important, especially when someone says they're hurt, oh, yeah. is not only that you say, I, I acknowledge you're hurt mm-hmm. and I'm sorry, but also to look Look into your heart, into the places you don't want to look and see, was I being malicious? Was there a part of me that wanted to hurt them, to get them back for a laundry list of things that I couldn't even articulate to you because they were too small for me to even understand? But I know that somewhere in me, I resent you. Mm. And, in, and somewhere in me, I feel injured myself. And maybe I can't even tell you why, because I wasn't willing to look at it when it happened. And I accepted your explanation that it wasn't your intention and you said you were sorry. And so I just ignored it. Mm. And I think that if you want to mature as a person, you have to start looking at those things. And this is what Carl Jung was getting at when he described what he called the shadow. We take things from our conscious experience, things that are intolerable to us, and we put them in our shadow, which is to say, to put them out of view. Mm. And once they're out of view, they're unconscious, but that doesn't mean they're gone. They're still there and they're still acting upon you and and upon the people that you have relationship with. Hmm. And yeah, so I think that if we can sort of get our arms around the idea that that stuff lives in us, then we can start taking an honest look at the way that our, our relationships are going and the way that what whatever it might mean to pursue being a good person might actually look like. It's so funny. You're talking this way. I'm just like, well... Well, that seems impossible, you know, and, and honestly, I think that there's, it's, it's daunting almost, you know, yeah, the way you're yeah, describing yeah. this is there's dauntingness and, and impossibility. And, and then I kind of had this picture in my head where this guy gets on his knees and like, what do you want from me? Mm-hmm. Like to God kind of yeah. thing, you know, it's like, and, and it's, it's almost that sort of like, we have to experience that sort of breaking, like, what do you want from me? Or, if you see it, like there's a, there's almost a deep sort of shame or even, um, realization of, of that darkness. But then it's funny. Cause like in that realization, it seems like, uh, like there is light too. And I think that's when you, when you kind of come to that, that space and most people experience it in forgiveness. You know, if someone's like, uh, two friends are, uh, you know, at odds or something like that. And then they make up it's like all of a sudden there's like, there's kind of light. Something happened. Yeah. It's like, was one person good or is better? Than, it's like, no, because if one person's good and one person's better or whatever, that just ruins everything. It was something that was experienced in that moment of two imperfect people, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not that the person who forgave was the better person or the person who asked for forgiveness was the better person. It was like the act and the, and the moment that what happens in that space of, acknowledging well the, the imperfection re- redemption makes both of the participants mm. better people and i think that's why it's so much better you know if if i hurt you then i say well i didn't mean it it wasn't my intention mm. you misunderstood me yeah nothing happens and and, and i say but i acknowledge you were hurt mm-hmm. and i say i'm oh. sorry and you say i forgive you mm-hmm. it's like you're you're what you're forgiving me for you being hurt. Yeah. Uh-huh, totally. But if I say to you, 
I meant to hurt you. Mm. And I hate that I did that because I really love you. Mm. And that was fucked up and I'm sorry. And then you, then you can actually forgive me. You can actually forgive what I did and not just the situation or the circumstance, which resulted in your pain. Mm -hmm. And that's redemptive. I mean, that that shines a light on everything. And now it's like, man, you want to hug, you want to say, holy hell, we did it. We looked at ourselves and, and we were honest and what, you know, it's like, should we get a drink? Should we make some food? You know, should we do a dance? I don't know. There's something about that. That's so exciting. Uh-huh. And I want to explore that just a little bit more. I, okay. I think you kind of opened up something that was really interesting and, and jump in. I'm just going to kind of ramble a little bit on this. Uh, as you were saying that I kind of got this picture of that. Oh, I'm sorry. Your, your feelings were hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, like there, there's something in that that, that was like that, there's not connection in that. There's no, there's no relational component in it. It's sort of like, right. oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. And right, there's like right. distance created there. And it's so funny. Like it's the same thing at pass assault. Like, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. Or, you know, it, there's something else is like when someone, the way somebody says it and they, the way they relate to you and experience you, it's like one is kind of like keeping it on the person, you know, and the other one's kind of like coming into it, you know? <clears throat> taking ownership of it. Yeah. Taking ownership of it. Yeah. But I kind of just wonder like with, well, yeah, I mean, I think kind of, you were saying it it is kind of, it is kind of dangerous because in each, in each instances, you're also, you're also open to rejection too, you know, Hey, what you did hurt me. Yeah. Well, sorry. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like, there's nothing, there's no repair that happened in that mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, or you can be antagonistic and be like, man, what the hell dude? Why are you always doing this to me? You know? And all of a sudden like, there's, there's no, there's no invitation in that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's just sort of like, you're sort of like throwing punches at each other mm-hmm. and, and like to have that sort of, I mean, well, I mean, how do you even get to that place where, that honesty of that relational honesty that you have when there's sort of reconciliation or acknowledgement. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, just, I, I just feel it's like tension between the two. Like, like, cause I know both you and I have experienced that sort of like honest sort of like connection mm-hmm. and, you know, forgiveness or sharing a moment. And, but then you'll also have experienced those times where it's like, uh, I'm, I'm just going to kind of get away from this. You know, mm-hmm. this is not, this is not healthy. This is not good. Yeah. And you're saying you're sorry, but you don't mean that you're sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you're telling, you're trying to yeah, apologize to somebody else and they're not allowing you, you to. What you mean is the situation is uncomfortable and awkward and stressful. And I'd like it to stop being that way. Mm-hmm. So let me say the magic words mm-hmm. and then we'll behave as if that fixed it. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, I think that that's valid to some extent because we have to teach forgiveness Hmm. to children. And that's what we do. We have them act it out, you know, and they, and they know the other person is saying they're sorry and they're not really sorry, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's that it, the, the entry, the entrance into understanding forgiveness is humility. 
And to have the humility to say something that you don't understand and you don't mean, but let it be what it is, to just say, I'm sorry, and let it be over, that's enough humility for you to start to see the concept. Oh, that's a really good point. So, I think I was being a little harsh on it, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's fine. Mm-hmm. And something I'm learning as I get older is um, <laughs> a lot of people were not taught this. And they are, they're still acting out the childhood version of it. Hmm. And I think that you used the word distance earlier. I think that's really what it does is it hmm. distances people from one another. And I think that if we want to, if we want to do it better, we have to start by looking at our own hearts and acknowledge to ourselves that like, I have to look at myself and say, I don't really know what my intentions are. There are things I have intentions and undercurrents of that bewilder me. Hmm. Like there's a, a verse in the Bible that says the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. Hmm. And I think that's right. I think that the purposes of my heart are deep. Uh, it's dark down there. I don't know what's down there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's a lot of good down there that I'm not in touch with that I'd really like to be. It's also a lot of stuff down there that, you know, I don't, I don't want to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. And then the verse continues, but a man of wisdom draws them out. And I think that's what we're talking about. And Mm -hmm. that is wisdom to say, I'm going to look at myself. I'm going to acknowledge that I don't understand myself very well. And I have all these intentions and purposes that are not, um, uh, not clear to me, not understood by me. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm acting on their behalf. And so I'm going to have to look at myself and look hard in places I don't want to look and then I'm going to have to admit what I see. And it might be that, you know, look, I'm really annoyed with you. Hmm. And I don't even really understand why, but the thing I just said to you was because I'm annoyed with you and I'm really sorry. And I don't wish to be that way. Hmm. And so I'm actually going to take a look at that myself and try to understand why it is that I might be annoyed with you. It might, it might only have like a 1% to do with you. Hmm. You know, it might be that really I'm annoyed with my dad mm-hmm. and because he behaved this way all of my life and you just kind of mirrored that and now I'm annoyed with you. It might even be a great, this is the thing, back to the idea of having children is these patterns, these patterns of behavior and these patterns of mm, injury they go back much farther than I think we'd like to admit. It may be possible that I'm actually annoyed with my great, great grandfather, Mm. even though I never knew him, but what he passed down to me through the, the, the generations that are between he and I is injuring me Mm. now. And maybe just seeing it in my own self is driving me crazy. That's a lot to look at. You know, it's (laughs) like you said earlier, it's daunting. It's, Mm -hmm. it's nearly, it's nearly impossible. And actually I think it is impossible. And back to the idea of humility, you can't, it's like, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to, you're going to live to 95. And you know, at some point, probably in those later years, you're going to have, well, I got it all figured out. I'm an open mm-hmm. book. I'm clear to myself. I totally understand myself. And now, you know, it's not possible for me to ever hurt anyone again. I the line between good and evil has been d- extinguished. I am no longer evil. I am a hundred percent good into what you declare yourself a God. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you, you get, you get to work on this all of your life. Mm. You will not complete it. 
That's it. Yeah. But this is a huge but. I think that working on something like that is the most meaningful possible thing that you can do. And when you engage in something that's meaningful, well, it's like it's meaningful. It brings meaning to your life and it, it, it illuminates and elucidates all kinds of things in your life. And it makes your life exciting and worth living. You know, I, I think about, well, I think a lot about, I wrote a song like 10 years ago. And one of the lines is there's, there's so many ways for a man to get along. And the time he has is a moment that's quickly gone. Hmm. I think what I was trying to say in that line is like, I look around and I, I don't know how anyone's doing this shit. <laughs> like people are living and they seem okay. I'm like, how, what are you doing? How are you doing this? Uh-huh. Um, you know, but I, I think especially the people that I've come across in my life who, who aren't willing to look at themselves and they just want to say, well, I'm a good person or I want to, I just, I just want to be a good person. And what they're really saying is leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Go away. I'm just trying to be a good person. Unless Why? you're going to validate me. Yeah. yeah right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think mostly of those, just like, how are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Is that feel good to you? Do you enjoy your life at all? And I think that a life lived that way is a life of consolation prizes. It's a life of participation awards. It's, it's a life without really any marrow in the bone, any fat in the meat. Hmm. Um, I don't envy that. Well, it kind of reminds me of, uh, kind of Jesus talks about this too, as far as, you know, you do your deeds in front of men and you get the applause of men, you know, it's like you do your deeds mm, in secret, you get the applause of God, you know? So this idea of like, you know, you, know, you say David said that? Uh, Jesus did. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, that's good. <laughs> yeah, Jesus said it. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, which is it's just really fascinating because there is a certain congratulatory, congratulatory. <laughs> I think you would have picked up a lot of words tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations to. Congratulatory. Congratulatory. Which uh, there is a certain part of it being honoring somebody, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, it's like, it is a certain, uh, uh, like feel good to be acknowledged by your peers, you know? Um, but there's also something that's even, if you've ever done something and nobody else knows about it, it, it kind of has a bigger package to it. It's like a bigger present that you have. That's just for you. You know, does that make sense? Uh-huh. <laughs> you keep smiling. Well, you just said bigger package. So. <laughs> Um, you said Jesus and bigger package at the mm. same. <laughs> hmm. <clears throat> well, yeah, I want to extend that a little bit though, because I think when you do something worth doing and you do it in private, it does seem to have a bit more payoff. Like, and I think we're, we're like totally divorced from that idea in this age of social media. Everything we do, we broadcast, you know, on our own personal little TV channels. And, you know, we judge the value of it based upon the likes and the comments and all of that. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's a certain, um, there's a certain form of currency in that. And I'm, I'm actually not trying to dog on that or to go, no, come no. down on that. I think mm-hmm. there's something really important in it. Um, you know, but it's like, I make my bed every morning. 
to see where this goes. I don't you did it just to say that on this podcast, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and despite the fact that uh, we had a whole podcast episode, I think titled "Should You Make Your Bed," yeah. but um, that's just for me, hmm. and it greatly enriches my life, like in a way that's almost kind of nerdy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but I love it. Like, I actually tweeted this out the other day. I said something like, "Life hack." Um, when you wake up in the morning, fluff your pillows and make your bed. And then when you get back into your room at the end of the night, thank your morning self for a wonderful experience. And I, it's kind of like coming back into a hotel room, but I get to thank myself. It's like, Oh, I did that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Morning, Matt. I love it. Um, but then, so to the extent that I have tried to do things in my life for public acclaim, which I have, And to the extent that I have received public acclaim, that has meant nothing compared to, for example, me showing my dad and my dad looking at it, listening to it, whatever it may be, and saying whatever it is he has to say. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's because when you share good things with those who love you and who know you and who can and are willing to be honest with you. Sharing it with them is about the most meaningful thing I can think of. Mm. And it doesn't matter to me, you know, how many number of listeners I have on Spotify or how many people listen to this podcast. You know, if someone I know says something to me, Mm. dude, that's it. That's the whole, that's, that's the whole ball game right Mm -hmm. there. And I think that's an extension of what you were saying about doing things in private. There's a bigger package, there's a bigger payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, to the applause of men, who the fuck cares? Yeah. I would rather do something I'm proud of and share it with somebody that I love that loves me. And that's everything. And the rest doesn't matter. And you can always tell those who have a lot more depth to them than they're proclaiming it's it's sort of like you almost wear that that sort of aura mm-hmm. you know like I, I can just think of different people in my life that i've i find out things about them over a period of time and most of the time it's not from them you know and 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 it just sort of like each time you kind of find, it's sort of like you kind of see them from a different perspective you know and that's uh, it's something that's always been kind of, I think I've, I've seen it modeled and I, I see the value in that. Um, and I think that's, I think that's really, it's almost like you're, you're building up, uh, uh, when you do things in secret, you know, uh, things that are, um, now I don't want to use the word good, but things that have value and you do it in secret, it's sort of like it almost builds like a uh, some clout, you know, that you, mm. <laughs> that kind of goes with you, you know, mm. and it's like you can't build that kind of clout publicly. Mm. And I think there's, like you said, there's a lot of like we do need people that are public and are inspiring us, you know. Yeah, I mean, to to that point, public and inspirational. Rick Rubin, do you know who Rick Rubin is? Mm-hmm. Has been, you know, he wrote a book called The Creative Act a year or so ago, and he's, you know, been on a bunch of podcasts and he talks about this. He's, he says, if you're trying to make art, the second you think about the audience, second you think about outcomes, 
but how it will be received, Hmm. you're not making art anymore. Hmm. It's like, it's something more like commerce or propaganda, but it's not art. That's interesting. That's a good point. And it's amazing to me that he has been able to withstand or maintain that kind of position when he is the most successful producer of, you know, all of the music industry, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy's accomplishments are unbelievable. And I think it's probably for that reason, but how it is that he's able to maintain that position is, is hard for me to imagine because gosh, we do, we think about that all the time, but there's, he, he said, he said, making art is like a diary entry. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why would I ever think about the outcome of my diary entry or what someone else who's going to read it would think mm. it's my diary. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a completely different thing. And I think to the extent that things are done, God, I hate this word, but authentically mm-hmm. they are done somehow in private mm. in in secret and, and yet you have this other concept, this other idea that you shouldn't, you know, you, who would light a lamp and hide it under a bowl? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, through the creative act, and we're talking about art, but I love that he called it the creative act because I really do think that being a human being is a creative act mm-hmm. always. And when you do, when you, when you make a creative act, um, you touch something divine inside of you. And that is like a lamp. There's a light there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you shouldn't hide that under the, under a bowl, but somehow we have to, we have to think about it more like a diary than we do about producing something for an audience. If it's going to have any relevance to an audience ever, Mm. you kind of have to fool yourself in a sense or trick yourself. I don't know. Well, it, it, I, I, I kind of, well, I like the way that you said, it. fool yourself or trick yourself, but even that's not, it seems it's not exactly right. It's not exactly right, but it, there is something to that because, because I, I think that's more of maybe the, the conscious part of it is, is kind of like that same idea of where you said like forgiveness, you know, sometimes you just have to walk through the motions of it and it helps you get a little bit closer. And so I think in that sense, I, I kind of, that's kind of how I think of like trick yourself, you know, as far as is <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going through the motions of, <clears throat> of wanting to act authentically. And I don't yeah. know how, so I'm going to imitate acting authentically. Mm-hmm. And then you taste it. You're like, Whoa, what was that? And then you try to replicate it. You, you just, it, it's not the same. And it's like the, each time you kind of like start to touch it, it's like the logos, you know, when you touch the logos, you know, like, which is meaning itself. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, you, you know, it, you taste it. It's like the taste of honey. It's like, once you taste it once and then you taste all the imitation stuff and you test it again, you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Right. And so I think there's something about that act as if, and then the more that you start to like experience it, it's almost like probably even the more you start to crave it because Mm -hmm. if you start to crave something other than that, it's like it produces death because you're, you're trying to, you're trying to look like it, but you're not it. Mm. You're, you know, you're, you're not, you're not propaganda. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the icon versus the idol. Mm. There you go. That's good. I think as you were just saying that I realized why I don't like the word authenticity Mm. and it has to do with this entire conversation. And it's something like, Next time 
a, a stranger or passerby or a barista or checkout person asks you how you're doing, mm-hmm. ask yourself if you want to be authentic. And I think, I think mostly we don't want to be authentic. And I think mostly that's because, well, if we gave an authentic answer, it would be, well, we might say it would be inappropriate for the circumstance. But really what it is, is we don't want to look at or admit the authentic answer. And there are very few people that we will with. And I think to the if we work on this project that we've been talking about, which is looking at ourselves, looking at the dark places of our heart that we don't want to look, not only are we going to find a lot of good that we didn't know was there, um, but we are going to understand what it would mean to be authentic. And then if somebody asks us a question like, how are you doing? I can actually give an authentic answer because there's, you know, what, 10 million things you could say in response Mm -hmm. to that question. If you're not looking at the available answers inside of you, you're just going to be like, oh, good, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, no, fine. Or you go to your default too. Like some people think to be authentic means to be negative, you know, like, oh, I need to like focus on my negative emotions or to be authentic means positive. So when you're saying that it was interesting because you're at the grocery store and there, the checkout person's like, hey, how are you doing? And there's something, there's something authentic to that moment. Yes. It's like, it's, it's, a it's, it, if the, if the bagger asks you, it might be a completely different thing, you know? So it's, I think that's the part, like, and I still struggle with that kind of like with you with authentic. What does that mean? But, but it just seems like there's something, is there something for the moment? How are you in this moment with this person at this place? There's something, how you are that fits this circumstance you know yeah totally i think when we say authentic what we mean is real mm-hmm. it's like is that handbag authentic what you mean is is it it's real, real. Yeah. you know and mm. and there is something specific to every moment which is real mm. and it could be i'm on the edge of tears and i'm breaking down because my life has completely fallen apart and gone completely awry and i never imagined that things would be this difficult mm. you know but it's like well, you're just going to dump all over the bagger, yeah. you know, like, no, that's not a real answer for that moment. You know, you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if I haven't looked at all of that, if I haven't admitted all that to myself, mm-hmm. then I don't know how to navigate giving a real answer. Mm. And I think I become fake and I become more distanced. Ooh. And so what does it mean to give a real answer to a, a, a what is primarily a sort of um, cursory, polite interaction? Mm-hmm. But I think we've all encountered people that we give an off the cuff, thoughtless question like that because you're, you know, you're just trying not to be an asshole or Mm -hmm. you're just trying to acknowledge that the person is there and, you know, they're going to be gone in five seconds. Mm -hmm. And the, and the person we're talking to surprises us with an answer, which feels real. And it doesn't feel like it's being put on. We don't feel dumped on. We don't feel used or manipulated or unseen. Mm-hmm. We feel invited into the realness of reality, mm-hmm. the realness of the moment. And I think if we're, if we are to be able to do that, we have to start by taking a good hard look at ourselves mm-hmm. so that we have some solid ground to stand on when we decide how to answer in a situation like that. Yeah, And that is what we end up calling authenticity, I think. Mm -hmm. 
It's so interesting. There's there's a sort of uh, there's moments where you're caught up in something. Uh, Allison always talks about like the circle of trauma. You know, it's like some people like want themselves to be in the circle of trauma all the time. Mm. <laughs> you know, and there's other times where it's 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 at different points in different people's lives. You're, you are the center of the, and you have to kind of be able to recognize that too. You know, it's like, you know, you lost your dad. It's like pretty, most of my problems are not in the trauma circle. You know, it's like, you're the center of that. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's and like to be able to see that, like where that, where, the, where that person is, you know, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know why I brought that part up. Cause I kind of was going to go a different direction, but, um, yeah, I'm not seeing the connection, but I'm along for the ride. Well, yeah, yeah. I'll, maybe I'll come back to that because, uh, the part that I was thinking of when you were, when you were explaining that is, is there's a sort of like franticness that you get like whenever, so if, like in the sauna, like, uh, after about 30 minutes, I'll find myself kind of start moving around and mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, it's because I'm, I'm agitated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's hot and it's like, and then I have to kind of calm back down and, and kind of get into like a, a more centered space, you know? And, and I find that too, is like, whenever you see like UFC, you know, when, when the guy is under control, like you can kind of see this sort of focus. And then once they start kind of like losing control and they're just more fighting like an animal, you know, it's like, they don't have that same skill, but the person who's able to kind of like stay focused and like be able to control that, you know, it's like, you see that, um, they have a lot more, uh, um, awareness of, of the situation of those around them. And I know that's kind of more of a sports analogy, but the thing is, is like in that space, you, you, you see things that other people don't, what your opponent doesn't see, you know? And I think that's whenever, when I think of this whole tension of like being a good person is that whenever you see that sort of the heart, the line down the heart of good and evil, it's like, you can kind of see that, that sort of like, like it's a balance, you know, it's like, is this about me or is this about you or is this about us? Like there's all these different elements. And then there's a sort of like, there's something that's true. That's, that's true of the moment. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm, I'm kind of making this sound too intellectualized and I, and I, and I don't mean, mean it that way, but, or, or this is some sort of skill you build, but I think just there's something in experience and knowing loss and knowing, hurt and failure and success. And it's like, I feel like it starts to kind of paint that picture where, you know, I think your dad was a really great example of that, which was like, he could kind of like read the room, Mm -hmm. you know, and you didn't feel like he was being, he wasn't present or, or distant, you know, but also it's at the same time, like, like he kind of knew when to share and what to share and how to share it. And it was very authentic, you know? Hmm. And, and it's like, did he train to do that? It's like, no, it's, there's something about whenever you, 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 you've been in enough of these situations that you're like, you're listening like, again, like to the logos, you know, to what, what it is, you know, it's like, um, and even like when Peterson talks about being the guy who can stand up at the funeral and speak. And I think that's something that to be familiar with, hurt and heartache and failure and also success. And it kind of, I think it gives you sort of like a, a balanced familiarity 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's just there's a lot of like kind of more religious terms like like being in the spirit or 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 kind of the logos kind of thing. Yeah. Hmm. But it's also not a Buddhist sort of detachment. That's 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 it's there's something about it. it's it's also about being present in in the moment in the place. Yeah, that's something that my dad was really really good at. And it's it's actually wrong to say that he was good at it because, totally. as you said, it isn't exactly a skill. I think that's why you can only describe it as logos or spirit. Like there's, a, it's like being in tuned. Well, well, it's like yeah, in tuned. That's right. I mean, Peterson talks about how you can tell if you're having a conversation with somebody. You can tell sometimes a point where you're talking and you can tell they stop listening because they've already arrived on their response and they're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can deliver mm. it. That's not a conversation. Mm. And I think that was something that my dad didn't do. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, he spent a lot of time around us and around our friend group and he actually listened mm. and it, and it and that's the thing is if you actually listen, then you can actually have something to say. And if I'm just listening to find in my own mental Rolodex, the things that I already had to say that I'm just looking for a place to insert them, you know, then I, I don't really have to listen. I can mm-hmm. tune out as soon as I found the, my next card to put on the table. And he never did that. Mm-hmm. And the result was he would act absolutely floor a social interaction hmm. essentially like i remember many times we'd be sitting around like a fire and there'd be 10 people there and we're all discussing something in, in a very lively manner and everybody's got you know, there's 10 different points of view and in you know mm-hmm. <laughs> we're discussing something fairly important or contentious or whatever and my dad would just he would really listen to everything everyone had to say and then in one sitten- sentence mm-hmm. you know he didn't insert himself just at some point in the conversation he would just say one sentence and Everybody's like, oh, <laughs> huh, <laughs> huh. Yeah. And it's like, he was able, he was able to pull everybody more closely together that way. Mm. And that's real. I would never say that my dad was authentic because I hate that word, <laughs> but he was real. Uh-huh. And I think that the, the way he was able to be that way, because I think he really did work to look at himself. And I know that he did that because I grew up watching my parents. Like we talked about our kids watch you. It's like, I watched my parents. Hmm. I listened to them. And I remember the way that they would fight with one another. And it's like seared into my brain. I'm sure I've told this story on the podcast before, but it's like, I remember many times my dad would do or something that would hurt my mom. And he would say something like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Mm-hmm. And she would just, she would not take that answer. <laughs> She'd just be like, bullshit. <laughs> you did mean it. And if you can't see that you meant it, essentially like y- you're not as much of a man as I thought you were. Mm-hmm. You need to look at yourself. <clears throat> she didn't say those exact words, but mm-hmm. I saw that interaction play out many times when I was young. And I think he took that seriously. And I mm-hmm. think he really looked at himself and you know, you said, did he train for it? It's like, well, he was a therapist, so he did go to school for that. Like, yeah. And, and then spent 35 years in, in, in therapeutic relationships. So it's like, yeah. yeah, he did train for it. But that's the other thing about him is he never entered a conversation with anybody 
you know, I was never his patient or client or whatever. He never entered a conversation that I saw as a therapist. He, mm-hmm. he never therapized anyone, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, that's the result of humility and being able to look at yourself and say, who am I really? And what are the purposes of my heart that I'm not seeing? Yeah. And I, and I, I want to see them. Or I don't see them, and I don't even want to see them, but maybe I want to want to see them. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to want to want that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I feel like a child in so many ways, even at 41. And, Mm -hmm. but I want to want that. Like, yeah, I want to be a good person, but I also want that to be real. Mm hmm. If there is any goodness in me, I need to find the real, the realness, the reality of it and, and act from that, not do the things that cause someone to say that I'm a good person mm-hmm. or cause me to be able to make a list of reasons why I'm a good person and convince myself of that because of the list and just, yeah. you know, look at the list every morning taped up to the mirror and be like, yeah, you're a good person. You, mm-hmm. you did these things. It's like, no, I want to look at my heart. Yeah. I just hate that because like it does, there's something that the very thing that was good can also then start to spoil like that. There's one part of like, I like to wake up early in the morning and sometimes I've, I've, I've mentioned it too many times and whether out of good or bad, bad, it's not, but at some point that the whole act starts to sour. Like I even find myself getting up because I've told people that's what I do. Mm. And I'm just like, I hate this. Like, that's not why I do this. And I have to find that space again, that place of why I, and it might be like, Hey, Michael, actually, this is no longer serving you, you know? Right. But I just, I just, I can see different things in my life where at first it was something that was life giving Mm. and, and good or authentic. And then at some point it actually became death. And I just see that in the desire to be a good person the very things that you think make you a good person can also be death because that's what you're, that's, that's what you think by doing those things. Well, that's, yeah, (laughs) that's the idea of the Pharisees in the Mm -hmm. new Testament. Yeah. That's also the fundamental reason why we have a left and a right political party. Mm. It's like the nature of life, even in the microcosm of, an individual. Like, I love that you said that, that I, I found myself getting up early because I told people yeah. that's what I do. Oh, and it just like, it just like, it you, almost like it just rotted in my hands. The yeah. thing I very, I loved right, and enjoy, right. you know, it became tyrannical. Totally. You, uh. you started to tyrannize yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that order, be, order tends pathologically toward tyranny and chaos tends pathologically toward slavery. Mm. And so we have to have, well, we have to protect the foundations of, of the structure that we stand on because for that to fall out from under us is death, but it also has to be renewed Mm -hmm. and revivified. So we, we're in this constant need. It's the yin and the yang. Mm -hmm. It's the left and the right. It's the conservative and the liberal. Yeah. Either one is sunk without the other. And that happens even just within you. You have to forgive yourself. You know, you have to, you have to 
give yourself grace. Mm. And yet you also have to give yourself rules mm -hmm. and routines because without those you're a mess. And so, but without the grace, you're a slave to the tyranny of your own rules. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I don't know how far we're into this, but I don't either. Yeah. Is that a good ending point? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of felt like it. Honestly. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just leave it there. Then. <laughs> well, I, I guess it, it was more of an ending point for me. Cause I'm like, I don't know where to go I, from I, there. No, I, I kind of want to think on this a little bit. No, okay. But, not, but it's, it's more like inner thoughts because I, I just, that private it, thoughts, secret thoughts. Well, it's like, again, you know, like listening to you talk about it and then, this uh, like this picture forms and it's it's this something that you touch it and it's alive you know or you touch it and it's dead or it's dying mm. or it's 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 coming to life you know there and, and it's, it's i don't think it's something that you can you can necessarily quantify it's like it's more of an experiential thing like mm -hmm. is this thing you're touching coming to life or is it begin like dying and leading to death you know well and in either Either way, mm -hmm. the next question is, what does it need? Mm. What does it need to be able to come more fully to life? Or what does it need to be protected against uh, disintegration? Mm -hmm. Or maybe it needs to disintegrate. To die, yeah. It needs to be let go. Mm -hmm. hmm. Being a human is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like pretty awesome. Yeah. One thing I do hate was whenever like somebody will quantify this or qualify it into oh my brain does weird things and it's, for some reason it kind of like it misses the point we start saying my brain does weird things hmm. it's like all of a sudden it's like you're 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 almost like mechanical about it or it's all oh, that my brain's being weird you know hmm. and it's it, it there's but this you're not embodying or um, experiencing it it's like, it's more of a function. Does that make sense? I might have taken us all on another rabbit trail, but yeah, kind of. Well, I, I just, I, I've, I've had a couple of conversations over the last few months and I've had that comment a few times. And every time someone makes that comment, I'm like, uh, I get what you're saying. And, but, but something's missing in that space. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the metaphor part is it, it, it describes it better than just saying my neurons are firing weird, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Well, it seems to me like a dismissive statement. Mm. Like the person is dismissing themselves, dismissing their own thoughts. Yeah. Like it, it kind of seems to me like, you know, you, <laughs> you ever ask somebody what they're thinking about and mm -hmm. they say nothing <laughs> and it's like, impossible. Yeah. Uh, your mind is thinking always, yeah. even when you're sleeping, whether or not you're aware of what it's thinking. Now that's a whole other issue. Hmm. Um, you know, many people don't remember their dreams, but you can, there are things that you can do that will make you start remembering your dreams more often. And, hmm. um, our minds are roaming wildly. You know, it's like if, if you just sort of pay attention to your thoughts, which is not actually that easy, you can watch yourself go from a childhood memory of feeling ashamed to, you know, something that seems completely weird and random. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like, fuck, I need to, <laughs> I need to fix that leaky faucet 
at my mom's house or I don't know something mm-hmm. totally random. It's like, how did you get from one to the other? Yeah. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You could know if you really paid attention, mm-hmm. but a, a, paying attention to that kind of thing is hard. And I think most of us would just rather dismiss the whole thing by saying, Oh, my brain's thinking weird things. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I got to get it in line, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely where you kind of get into more of the young yin sort of like, cause it could be actual task or it could be symbolic of something, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. you're thinking of one thing and then, cause we had a, the whole faucet episode where, where yeah. I was not fixing the faucet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, but it also could be representative of other things in your life. Oh, of yeah, like you're not, for sure. you're not fixing things anymore. Yeah. You're kind of just letting things kind of go to disrepair. Yeah. It's like, maybe that's why you started thinking about it. Like, Oh, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's who BGB or whatever, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. no, it, your brain uses symbols for yeah. a reason, you know, that's why you dream in symbols. It's mm-hmm. because, uh, it's more than what you could handle, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, uh, it'd have to be like a 5,000 page book for you to get mm-hmm. what your brain can, your brain, what it can be communicated through an image, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, let's leave it there. So, <laughs> <laughs> You keep going, but <laughs> true, very true. We will continue next week. Yeah, definitely. All right, cheers, Thank you guys. Thanks for coming to the shores with us. If you're still here, mm-hmm. congratulations, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean this. I love you. I love you too. Yeah. I love you too. Yeah, I love you too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you guys. <laughs> Adios.